after the great cyclone of 1991 washed away their fields and reshaped the land beneath their feet. The bustling city had offered them refuge and a chance of employment in garment factories springing up everywhere in the suburbs, fueled by the frenzy of globalization. Joya had started at Millennium as a helper, but with training, determination and patience, she had worked her way up to sample sewing operator in the pattern room, a specialist in charge of translating designs conveyed by the clothing brands into samples that won contracts and set the standard for everyone else. Nasima had followed her mother into the factory as soon as Sonia was old enough to attend school. Sonia had joined them when she was thirteen, though her employment documents recorded her age as fifteen, the legal minimum in Bangladesh. The hours were brutal, the influx of overseas orders relentless, and the wages subsistence level and often paid late. But it was honest work, steady work, and with three of them collecting paychecks, the money had multiplied, allowing the boys to stay in school. It was Joya's hope, and Ashik's, her rickshaw-driving husband, that their eldest son would be the first in the family to attend college. Nasima's dream was simpler. She wanted to get married and have children of her own. Etaki, Sonia asked in Bengali. What is that? The question caught Nasima off guard. She pulled her fingers back from the plunging needle just in time. What is what? Then Nasima heard it. The sound of shouting carrying over the clatter of machines and the whirring of fans. She looked around to see if anyone else had noticed. There were two hundred sewing stations in the cavernous room, four lines of fifty, each with an operator and a helper, along with ten supervisors and four line chiefs. Most of the workers were on task. A few, however, were glancing about with concern. Get back to work, barked her supervisor. No delays. The order must go out tonight. Nasima gave her sister a reassuring look and slid another waistband and label into the machine. The pants were bright red and sized to fit a girl about six years old. How much would the child's parents pay in America? Five dollars? Ten? Fifteen? It was a guessing game she sometimes played to break the monotony. The fabric was nice. Twelve, she guessed. At her current wage of forty-two cents an hour, Nasima had to work four days to earn such a sum. But she felt no bitterness. Nor did she wonder, as she had when she was younger, how Americans could afford such luxuries. The West had grown rich, while much of the world remained poor. The ways of Allah were mysterious. It was not for her to question them. Minutes passed. Piece after piece went through the machine. Nasima fought to maintain concentration, but the distant shouting did not subside. More operators looked up from their work, searching for an explanation. Supervisors began to stomp about, chastising the laggards for their indolence, but the ranks of the curious swelled. 
Finally, the line chiefs intervened. They marched brusquely up and down the lines, issuing orders and threats. Nasima hunched over her machine and picked up her pace. The supervisors were harmless. They had no power to hire a fire. The line chiefs, however, could dismiss workers at whim. Then came the first explosion. Nasima heard it and felt it simultaneously. A rumbling, like thunder rising from deep inside the building. The floor trembled, the walls shuddered, the lights flickered and swayed. Workers cried out as the sound reached a throaty pitch and then died away. The fire alarm began to ring. Nasima sat transfixed, clutching the pants she'd just finished. In a glance, she saw Sonia's fright and the fright of the workers around her.